So we are in our second week this morning of our short sermon series this fall called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. And as you can see, uh, we are beginning, are continuing that this week. And last week, we briefly looked at this idea, and we saw that what matters for God's glory and for our good and for our mission as a church isn't just doing God's work, but doing it in God's way, if he has told us the way. And last week, then, we talked about the importance of God's word above everything else, and then we talked about the importance of being careful of our traditions, that can downplay God's word, especially traditions like pragmatism, which is kind of doing whatever we think works, or individualism, or it's tradition of business. But overall, what we did end with last week, especially if you weren't here, what we ended with was our summary statement being that, above all then, our goal as a church, meaning my goal as a pastor and all of our goals as those in the congregation, our goal is to be as robustly biblical as possible to be intensely fixated on what God has said and whatever he has said in his word, elevating that, elevating especially whatever he says is his way. Which brings us then to this week. So now this week and the next week, what we'll do is we're gonna be applying that concept of doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way to church structure, to church structure. And even as I say that, I know you may be sitting there and thinking that this is gonna be a little dull or pointless or boring, but, but first, I just hope that what we see together in God's word this morning is surprisingly interesting to you, especially since we know that in God's plan for you as a Christian, he has called you to be in a community that trusts in Jesus and a church. And so I hope you find it interesting the next two weeks to see how God has really said his churches are to be. But then also we do this because, because think of it this way, as a church, we don't just believe in some vague God. Instead, we believe in the God who accomplished the gospel. And the gospel is that we are all sinful and broken and Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, he's God, he rose again. But then the gospel also includes the fact that the God who died and rose for us is still alive today. And he speaks to us in his word. And so believing that and really knowing that, the more we listen and obey whatever he says, the more he'll be glorified and the more we will have a healthier, happier church. Which brings us to these two weeks that we're gonna spend on church structure. And as a brief summary of these two weeks, we're gonna be looking at three things briefly this week. Three things. First will be elders, which is gonna be this week. And then second and third will be deacons in the congregation, which will be next week. And we do this because as you'll all see, if we sum up God's way of church structure, how churches are to be structured in his word, it's three things. First is the focus on the congregation itself, as the congregation is the church. But then second, the congregation is to have a group of elders who serve the church by leading, overseeing, managing, and caring, and shepherding for the church. And then third and finally, the church is to have individual deacons who serve in their own respective areas who are at service for the good of the church. 
And so that's these next two weeks. But that finally brings us to this week. So again, this week, what we're starting with as we're talking about God's plan for the church is the topic of elders, of elders. And we start here because we have already laid the foundation for the church itself in our We Are the Church series. But now what we're going to see in the Bible is that when people started to believe in Jesus and the church was founded and then taught on, Right away, as you're going to see this morning, we see that these are, there's this group called elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers, all of which are one group in the Bible, who serve the church by leading the church for God's glory and the congregation's good. And so now with that said, we're going to get right into it because we do have a lot of places to go together this morning. And, and I will be honest, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, what we're about to do together as we go through this, it's a lot of information and a lot of almost a fire hose of just God's word and Bible text. And then we will make some applications at the end. But the reason we'll cover this about elders in one message this morning is because I hope by doing so, each one of us will see clearly and really pretty compre- comprehensively what God really says about elders in his word. And so to cover it all, we're going to have three sections this morning, three sections on elders, and for the sake of time, we'll just reveal them as we go, but three sections. But with that said, let's now begin our first section together, church, and for our first section, we'll be seeing the foundation for God's way of elders, both in the Old Testament and then especially the book of Acts, the foundation for God's way of elders. And to begin then on this, concerning the Old Testament, we won't go to a text on this for the sake of time, but as we talk about this concept, as you hear about this concept of elders and elder leadership, we need to know that this isn't some novel New Testament concept. Instead, as you might know from your own Bible reading, the Israelites had elders as leaders in the Old Testament. And not only that, we then see that in the early New Testament, in Jesus' day, the Jewish people still had elders as leaders. And and it's this, to be honest, that's really fascinating. Because as you might know from your own Bible reading, it was these Jewish elders in Jesus' day, along with other groups like the scribes, they were the ones who wanted to crucify Jesus. And not only that, it was these Jewish elders in the beginning of Acts who above all wanted to stop the apostles from preaching Jesus. And and so that being the case, we could imagine that God, seeing this perversion of elder leadership, would invent up a new way or a new position for his New Testament church. But then what's fascinating is that he doesn't. Instead, when Jesus' apostles go and establish the New Testament church, what position do they establish as the leadership position of the church? Elders. Still elders. The same word. Which, which means that in God's mind, in God's plan, it wasn't that the idea or the position of elder itself was necessarily bad. Instead, the issue was that these Jewish men who were the elders of the Jewish community at the time were immoral. But now with all that said, I want you to see all about this, about elders for yourself in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. And to do this, we will be going to a handful of places in Acts quickly together to see how the early church established elders. And to begin, we will just start with that reading from Acts 14.23. So look down at your Bibles. We'll read that again. The Bible says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So this is talking about the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and what they would do when they established churches. And what did they do? They, quote, appointed elders for them and every church. And so here it's clear that the churches are the people who believed in Jesus. But then right away, the apostles find it necessary to appoint elders to lovingly lead the people. And so that is eldership in Acts 14. And that's confirmed a chapter later. If you want to turn with me now to Acts 15. If you want to go to Acts 15, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Acts 15, 1 and 2. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so this is important because here in Acts 15 is one of the first big doctrinal belief issues in the early church. And it has to do with salvation and how it relates to circumcision. But importantly for us, notice that those who deal with this issue here are number one, the apostles, and two, the elders. And we see this again later in the chapter as well. We won't read it for the sake of time, but this shows up in, chapter, in verse 4 again. It shows up in verses 22 and 23. In each and every case, Luke the writer, inspired by God, wants us to know that the early church leaders were the apostles, of course, who were founding the churches, and the elders in the churches. But then this is all confirmed even more clearly in now a specific snapshot we're going to get of a group of elders in Acts 20. Acts 20. So turn with me now there if you can. Acts 20. And we're going to start in the middle of chapter in verses 17 through 19. And this is now the Apostle Paul talking to a specific group of elders in the early church, the elders of the Ephesian church. And this is Acts 20 verses 17 and 19. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. We'll stop there. And so as you can see here, what's going on is he's calling the elders of the church to him, Paul, and then in verse 19, Paul gives a hint about what these elders are to do. Because in verse 19, Paul talks about how he served the Lord with all humility. And so implied here is that these elders he's talking to are similarly to humbly serve their churches as well, their church. And that's important because this means that the elders in Acts, as you're seeing, are the leaders, yes, but like Paul, like Jesus, as leaders, they are to be humble servants. And this word can be bond servants. That's what they're supposed to be as well. So that's verses 17 through 19. And then the rest of this chapter, Paul has this beautiful farewell message. But to see where he gets specific about elders again, now look at verse 28 of Acts 20. Verse 28. The Bible says, Paul's saying to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So in verses 29 through 32 after this, you're going to see that Paul's going to talk about how the elders need to protect the sheep from wolves. But perhaps the, most, the single most important verse on elders in this whole book of Acts is that verse 28 there. 
Because as you can see in verse 28, elders are to pay careful attention to themselves, and so who they are really matters. And then, quote, they're supposed to pay attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And it's in that one verse that we see a lot about what Paul and therefore God sees elders as. So they are humble servants, absolutely, but they specifically serve the church, one, as shepherds, because they have a flock. Two, as overseers, because God the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. And then three, they're to care for the church, which as you can see at the end of that verse is a big deal because God died to purchase his church. And it really is that last point that's important because now, as we said earlier, the role of elder is specifically connected to the gospel. Jesus died to obtain his church and in his plan by the appointment of the Holy Spirit, he has ordained his churches. He died for to have elders and overseers. And so that's Acts 20, but that finally brings us to our final text in the book of Acts, and this will be Acts 11. This is the last place in the book of Acts. Acts 11, it's gonna be the last two verses, so right before Acts 12. This is Acts 11, verses 29 through 30. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so this is important because we might wonder what all of this elder overseeing looked like. But remember, in Acts 15, we got a specific example of what oversight looked like with belief and doctrine. But now here in Acts 11, we get a specific example of it too, but here it's with the oversight of the church resources. And so, as we'll see later explicitly in 1 Timothy, part of what the elders do in their quote-unquote overseeing of the church isn't just quote-unquote spiritual issues or doctrinal things, but in God's way, their role is to oversee anything that is connected to the assembly, the church. Or as Paul's going to say later in 1 Timothy 3, they are to manage and care for the church like they manage and care for their own household, which would include anything that happens inside the house. And so that is the foundation for elders in the Old Testament in the book of Acts. And to summarize what we saw, it's clear that in Acts, the churches are the people. It's about the people who are believing in Jesus Christ, but then also in these churches, the apostles appointed elders to lead, oversee, protect, shepherd, and care for the church. So that was our first section on the foundation. And I know this is a lot, but that brings us to our second section this morning. And now in our sections two and three, we're simply just going to ask two questions of elders in the rest of the New Testament. Two questions. And first, in our first section right now, we're going to ask what does, elders, what does God say elders do? And then our next section, our last section, we'll end by asking, and what does God say elders are to be like? And then we'll conclude with two applications for us. But now is this for our first question about what elders do. We, of course, have already seen a handful of answers from the book of Acts. But now to see it more elsewhere, we're going to keep going throughout the Bible. Now, please turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. 
If you're in Acts, it's going to be about 90 pages or so to the right in your Bible. And of course, we just encourage you to keep following along. Titus chapter 1. And we go here because as we're about to see, this really does connect to what we saw in Acts. So this is Titus chapter 1, and we're going to read just verse 5. Paul is writing to a pastor named Titus, and he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so as you can see, that sounds very similar to Acts. Paul is writing here to a young new pastor named Timothy in a place called Crete, And what does he say? First in verse five, that things need to be put into order. And so God cares about church order. And then second, that this will happen by Titus appointing elders in every town as Paul directed him. And then Paul goes on to give the qualification for elders, which we'll talk about in our next question. But for our purposes now, notice the thing Paul says elders do in verse seven. It's the beginning of verse seven of Titus one. Quote, for an overseer, as God's steward, and we'll stop there. But as you can see, elders are God's stewards, and again, they are called overseers. And just so you know now, that word overseer is the same exact word we saw multiple times in Acts, and in Greek, this is the word episkopos, episkopos. You probably know the English version that the Episcopals take from that. And the word in Greek, though, literally just means someone who oversees or guards or manages, or even supervises. And so that's Titus 1 and what elders do. You can see it in every church, for there to be order, elders are to oversee, guard, manage. But now to see what elders do even more clearly, now turn with me to 1 Timothy 2. This will be only about five pages to the left in your Bible, so it should be easy to find. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3. I know this is a lot, but we go here now because here we have the biggest description of elders and deacons in the whole New Testament. But as for elders, we'll start with just verses 1 and 2 again. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So again, Paul uses this term overseer, and he does so twice here, so it's emphatic. But then, in verses 4 and 5, he talks even more specifically about what elders do. So look down there now, verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So so here we have two more verbs. You can see it yourself. The verbs are manage and care. But perhaps even more important again than the verbs themselves is that picture that God through Paul is painting here. Because as you can see, his point is that being an elder overseer in the church is like managing caring for your own household. And and once again, that shows us that this isn't just some spiritual caring, but a total caring, especially and importantly, as I hope you know, that elders are the only people besides Jesus himself in the whole New Testament that are said to oversee and manage in the church, which is important. And then that is contrasted with deacons, as you can see in the paragraph right after this. 
Because we said a minute ago, this in 1 Timothy 3 is the main place in the Bible that deacons are described. And we'll talk about this more next week, but since we are looking at the verbs that God decides to use for these offices, important for our understanding for how God says elders and deacons relate in the church is that while elders in the New Testament have many verbs that we've seen, verbs like oversee and shepherd and manage and care, on the other hand, God's way for deacons is beautifully described in simply one word in the whole New Testament. One verb. And it's the verb that you can see in verse 10 and then again in verse 13. Verse 13, deacons, quote, are to serve well. And as for qualification, deacons must manage their children and their households well. But again, in terms of what they do in the church, the only verb for deacons in the New Testament is that verb, serve. And and that is a different verb than the verb that Paul used in Acts 20. Acts 20 was the verb to be a slave or a bondservant. But this verb here, diakoneo, is from which we get our word deacon, most literally meant to be at one's service or to wait at table. And now this is a verb, let's be really clear, that was used about our Lord Jesus all the time. (laughs) Jesus was the ultimate deacon. And so serving like this is a beautiful thing for God's church, but see it for yourself. God in his word contrasts this with elders because elders in God's way are the servant overseers, managers, shepherds, and leaders and carers, while deacons lovingly are at service. Which then leads to another verb for elders, and it connects to the idea of deacons serving well. And for this, just turn a page to your right to 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. So now this verb reads, you can see what Paul says, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So you actually can see this is intentional by Paul. Deacons serve well, while elders rule well. And that may sound strange, but the point of emphasis, I think, is on that word well, Because that word can be and maybe should be translated as beautifully, kalos. And and so the point Paul is clearly making by using the same phrase twice in this letter, and the point of application for us is that, yes, elder and deacon are very different roles. Elder is a Christ-like servant oversight and leadership, and deacon is a Christ-like humble being at service. But the point is that both can be done well and beautifully in God's eyes and for the good of his church. And so again, I know this is a lot, but this is what God and his word says elders do, oversee, manage, care, rule. Which brings us to the last text that we'll go to on this question. And this is from Peter in 1 Peter 5. And this will be about 30 pages to the right. Thanks for sticking with us, 1 Peter 5. And we go here because finally here we're going to get one last main verb for what elders do in the Bible. And it's probably the most common verb that we use today for elders and shepherds. This is 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So notice in verse one, Peter says these are elders, as Peter himself was an elder. And what are these elders to do? Quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And just so you know, our noun, our word pastor, is essentially just a noun form of that verb to shepherd. And so by definition, in God's word, an elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder in the Bible. And then as you can see, Peter says this shepherding, and this might make sense to you now, is quote, exercising oversight which is the verb form of the word overseer. And so if you're tracking, you can see from God in his word, we have to say this is all one position. An elder is a pastor, is an overseer, is a shepherd. It's all one position according to God. But then, what may be the most important to you, as you're listening to all this, is those last things that Peter says there in verses two and three. Because I know, as I was preparing this, I know this has been a lot. And I know that you could be sitting there and hearing all this and thinking, oh man, this is, this is kind of scary, putting certain people in such leadership in the church. But, but notice, this is clearly what God says in his word so far. But then also, and I hope encouraging to you, notice here how these elders are supposed to be as they do all this. First, in verse two, Peter says they're not to do this under compulsion. Instead, they're to do it willingly, which means they're really supposed to, from the heart, love the church and love you. And then second, still in verse two, Peter says they're not to do it for shameful gain, which would include shameful gain of wanting something, let's say, like power. And so if that's the reason that anybody wants to have this position, they shouldn't be an elder. And then finally, in verse three, they're not to be domineering, but examples to the flock. Meaning these are not to be intimidating men that people are afraid to go and to approach, but examples of Christ-like love. And so all that being said, that is what God says elders do, the verbs. That finally leads us to our last question. Again, I know this has been a lot, but after this question, we'll finally have a few takeaways. So again, thanks for sticking with us, but I really hope we're starting to see the clarity on all of this. And so we've seen the foundation of elders in the Old Testament and Acts. We've seen what God says elders do. And now our final question is, and what does God say elders need to be like? Or to say it another way, as we often do, what are the elder qualifications? And for this, we're just gonna go to two final places. First, turn with me to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 17. If you're in 1 Peter 5, this is only about 10 pages, so it's pretty close, 10 pages to the left. Hebrews 13, 17. And we'll look at this text briefly because this verse talks about what elders are to be like and because this is a bullet point on our membership form that I know some of you have had some questions on and some concerns on. So this is Hebrews 13, verse 17. God's word says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
So, so as you can see, God commands his people in his word, quote, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then the Bible continues explaining who these leaders are. They're, quote, those keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. And so the leaders here are the overseers, the elders. And so that is God's command to his people here. And, and I know that may sound strong, especially with those commands, obey and submit. But, but first, I hope you see that especially that word submit is not a word that I made up on the membership form. And I mean that. Instead, it really is from God's word, and it is a command from him, not from me. And then second, just so you know, that idea of submit there, why it's there, is mainly just showing the importance of what we're talking about, the importance of church structure, of order. Because as we've seen, in God's structure for his church, there is this one group of elders who are called by the grace of God to oversee, manage, shepherd, care for the church. But importantly, that doesn't mean that the elders will be involved in every single nitpicky part of your life. That's not the point. Instead, the point is that in the church, as the elders lead the church and shepherd the people, God uses the verbs obey and submit to describe how the congregants are supposed to interact with the leadership of the elders. Not because it's supposed to be this fearful, intimidating submission, but because in God's structure, for the sake of church unity and health, the congregants are supposed to recognize that the elders are the overseers of the church, the leaders, appointed by the congregation since the congregation itself is the church. But once they are the elders, God says they are the group of leaders who oversees the church. And so that's the command here. But even as we say that, the reason we're going to this verse when we're asking the question, what are elders to be like, is because of what this verse says at the end. Quote, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so the elders here, although yes, they are called the leaders, are to be joyful, loving leaders doing what they do with joy and for each member's advantage. So that's Hebrews 13, 17. But now, for more on this question of what elders are to be like, we are finally going to go to our last passage together this morning. And for this, turn back with me again to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, which would be again about 30 pages to the left in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we go here, we go to a few paces, places about elder qualifications, but this is probably the single best passage on what elders are to be like. And for the sake of time, what we're going to do is we're just going to read through these qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And then after we do that, I'll, we're going to make four observations on the qualifications. Four observations. So let's read that now, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So four observations on all this. First, notice that phrase, the husband of one wife in verse two. And in the ESV, it helpfully has that footnote that says a man of one woman because that's most literally the Greek there. And I point that out because some people have interpreted this to say that elders cannot be divorced or deacons too since it shows up about deacons in verse 12. But, but I do want you to know that most biblical scholars don't take that interpretation. Instead, the phrase in context, what Paul was using there, more was talking about someone being a man of one woman, meaning they were a man who literally had just one woman instead of many. <laughs> And that's because back then, this was contrasted with a lot of people who might have a wife, but then also would have a mistress or, or sleep around. And so in short, the a man of one woman phrase doesn't apply to divorce technically. Instead, it's about a person's current faithfulness to their wife if they have a wife. So that's the first observation, but that leads to the second. And for this, now notice that phrase in verse three. It's so important. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. And I point that out because let's be honest, when it comes to such leaders like this, right, in, in an organization or sometimes even in churches, sometimes we see that such leaders are often harsh and unkind. And so I point this qualification out because as you've seen, while it's true that in God's church there is this one leadership group of elders who manage and oversee, what's also true is that in order to be elders, these must be really gentle men. Humble, not quarrelsome, Jesus-like in this regard. Which leads to the third observation. And on this, just please talk to me ever after the service or give me a call if you have any questions on this. But the third observation is that it is taught here and elsewhere in the Bible that elders in the church are to be men, are to be men. And our church does hold to this already, and the majority of Bible-believing churches today still do. But the role of elder pastor overseer in the New Testament is specifically for men. And we can see that this is the Bible's teaching because notice for yourself what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.12, right before all this about elders in chapter 3. 1 Timothy 2.12, the Bible says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. And we have, we have a lot of questions about that, but here the Bible is clear that a, that a woman is not supposed to have authority is the word over a man in the church. And then right after this, you can see that right after that verse, notice the Bible talks about the position of authority in the New Testament, which is the role of elder. But, but even more than just 1 Timothy 2.12, this is clear that elders are to be been when we see what Paul talks about deacons coming up. And we'll come back to this more next week, but I'll show you there that I really think Paul's talking about men and women deacons in chapter 3 especially in verse 11. And that's because that then fits with what we see elsewhere in the New Testament. Like in this verse, Romans 16, 1, where there is this woman named Phoebe who Paul calls, quote, literally, a deacon of the church at Sencrea. 
And so I think it's pretty plain in the New Testament that women can be deacons in the New Testament, but, but nowhere in your New Testament does it talk about women as elders, pastors, or overseers. And so understand this all for yourself. Taking all that together then, I hope this is helpful. We see a big part of God's structure and his word for his church. This logically is how it makes sense. In 1 Timothy 2.12, God and his plan, he says he doesn't permit a woman to have authority over a man in the church. And the position of authority in the church is the role of elder, which is why men are to be elders. But then also because the office of deacon is a position in the Bible of service and not a position of authority, as deacons are never said to oversee or manage or lead in the New Testament. Because deacon is a position of service, what's good and beautiful is both men and women certainly serving as amazing deacons, which again is such a blessing to the church, as we'll talk about next week. Which leads to the fourth and final observation. And if you leave here remembering maybe just one qualification for elders, I hope it's what's at the end of verse 2. And that's the qualification that elders must be, quote, able to teach. And I say that this is an important qualification because think of this. Many commentators talking about all these qualifications will point out that, interestingly, this able to teach qualification technically is the only qualification that isn't something that everyone in the church should strive towards, per se. Or to say it another way, all the other qualifications are just exemplary things that all Christians in the New Testament are called to. For example, all Christians should try to be really faithful and gentle and hospitable and not quarrelsome. But this able to teach idea in the New Testament isn't necessarily something that all Christians are supposed to strive for. And so the question is, why? Why are elders required to be able to teach? Well, think about it. And again, if you leave here remembering any qualification, I hope it's this. So in God's way for church structure, we can see that, yes, in the New Testament, God talks about this group of elders who lead, manage, and oversee in the church. And yes, they are to be humble, gentle, godly men. But then also, and very importantly, we also see that these men must be men who know God's word and are able to teach God's word. And now why would that be? Well, think about it. And and here's the big point. It's because this is God's church. And so above all, what matters and those who lead and manage and oversee and make final decisions in God's church is that they can take what God has said and say to the people. It doesn't mean that every elder needs to be the best teacher or that every elder needs to preach per se. That's not what the Bible says. But it does mean that every elder needs to know the Bible well. Well enough to be able to counsel in it, give advice in it, teach sound theology in it, disciple people in it. Because again, this is God's church. And more important than anything any of us will ever have to say is what God has to say. As the psalmist says about God in Psalm 138, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And so who did God ordain to lead, manage, oversee his local churches? 
Well, it's a group of qualified men who only by the grace of God love him, exemplify him, and are able to communicate God's word. So that's elders in the New Testament, the foundation of the Old Testament and Acts, what they do and who they are, which really does bring us full circle. Because as we saw, these elders are to communicate God's word, and so that's such an important qualification for elders. But then for us, brothers and sisters, God's word, I hope you see, is really ultimately what this whole series is about about hearing what he says and doing it his way. And so I know in many ways this message, as I told you in advance, has been a fire hose of a lot of Bible texts. (laughs) But I hope through all that, what we've seen this morning is that God has really spoken to us about all of this church structure. And honestly, he's spoken quite clearly when you look at the New Testament in detail. And so with all that said, as we now close, let me just share with you two applications, two takeaways from all of this, two things to take away, and we will be done. So as for taking it, number one, so I know all of that has mainly just been showing it from God's word, but now I hope to just quickly show you why this idea of elders isn't just what God has said, but that it's also for your personal good. And we know this because whenever God talks about structure in the Bible, although it might seem strange to us, it's always for his people's good. And whenever his people ignore his structures he set in place, whether in Israel in the Old Testament or in the family and home today in a lot of homes or in the church and churches, it always hurts and leads to division and disunity. And, and so we do know that God's structures are always for our good. But then, but then practically to show this, think about if you, sitting there as an individual follower of Christ, were part of a church where this solidly was the case. Where there wasn't a lot of division or confusion to who does what or gossip, but instead there was one group of really humble, godly men who so loved God's word and who genuinely loved you. And importantly, who then were serving by managing, overseeing, shepherding, and caring for the church as a whole in a way where the church was healthy, and in a way where you were known personally and pointed toward Christ. Because that is God's vision for the church. Now, this does not mean that the elders do everything. Far from it. That's why individual men and women deacons being at service in their respective areas is such a blessing. And that's especially why the church in the New Testament, as we'll talk about next week, is primarily those who do the work of the ministry. But to have one group of godly, able to teach, qualified men leading a healthy church towards Christ is a beautiful thing for the unity of the church and the good and the happiness of the members in it. And so that is takeaway number one, describing how I hope you see that this would be for your good. But now, for the last takeaway number two, let me just say this. So I know that this is not the most entertaining topic. (laughs) And I also know that at ECC, many parts of our Constitution and bylaws do lean this way. Although part of the reason we are doing this series is we'll talk about more as a church next year is that there is maybe some in our constitution and bylaws that probably doesn't fit with what we've seen this morning. And so next year, as a congregation, for God's glory and our good, we'll look to edit those things. But all that being said, for our last takeaway, whether you've been at ECC here for a while or whether you're newer here and coming for another church, please, 
I just encourage you, if you have any issues or questions with anything that has been said this morning, please just test it by God's word. Please go to God's word yourself. And I want to emphasize that as our last takeaway for all of us because it is times like this, church, that we as God's people really do need to be like those Bereans in Acts. You may know the story from Acts 17, but in short, Paul goes to this city called Berea, and it's typical, he teaches this challenging message about Jesus. But what made the Bereans unique was that the Bereans, quote, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so that's my calling to you. And that is why you will find in the foyer after this service, this sheet, this, this nice cardstock sheet with every single Bible verse we talked about this morning and more. And on this sheet, you'll not only find all the verses and more about elders in the Bible, but you'll even find Greek verbs that we talked about if you want to look into them yourself. And we will have a similar sheet next week for the deacons and the congregation. And I usually don't do that with the messages, but again, our goal is a church as we go forward, especially as we look to establish elders and perhaps change some of our bylaws, our goal is to be as specifically biblical as possible. And so I just encourage you to take a sheet, especially if you have any questions or concerns, and go to God's word for yourself and see what he says. And one last thing on all this, I also just want to say that I, that I know right now, church, as your pastor, I, I know that biblically I am the only pastor, elder, overseer here at the church. And that's not a good thing because in God's way, as you have now seen, it is supposed to be a group of elders. And so I do want you to know, church, that I'm praying and looking to train men and training men, and Lord willing, will present them to you soon for congregational approval. And they must be men that fit the high qualifications of godliness and gentleness that we saw here. And then I also want to say that when we do have a group of elders, let me be clear, that they will literally have just as much say as me, since biblically we will all be equal pastors, elders, overseers. Let me say that again. When we do have a group of elders, they literally will have just as much say as me, since biblically in God's word, we will all be equal elders, pastors, and overseers. But now, for the, the reason why we're doing this series now is because before we do that, it'd be so helpful, church, if we really were unified on who this church is, which is why the emphasis on membership, and if we all became more unified on God's structure in his word. And so truly and honestly, my prayer is that we all clearly and happily see this model of New Testament church structure, which once again is number one, the congregation being the emphasis. The people are the emphasis. But then two, with elders as the one group who shepherds, manages, and oversees the church. And then number three, with individual men and women, deacons, being in service beautifully in their respective areas. All because we want to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And all because since he said this, we know it will be for his glory and for the health, happiness, and mission of this church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.